Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double On WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Navchak. His name is Steven Trinkwald. Today we have a little uh, different exercise. We have been looking through, you know, the leagues, the, the roster spots and everything like that. And, you know, I think, Steven, a popular talking point maybe on, on Twitter among women's basketball fans is, you know, oh, so-and-so needs a change of scenery or, or player X, player Y need to be on a different team. They, they would function better on a different team. They deserve to be on a different team. And uh, today we're going to go over some players. You know that that's an interesting uh, is an interesting point. So today we're going to go over some players who we think uh, maybe either are going to be getting a chance on a different team, or we think would benefit from a change of scenery. I don't know how else you want to put it. Um, but first, we have some news. Some news. Some uh, news. We are recording this on Saturday, so just hours after the news that Tina Charles has agreed to a buyout with the Phoenix Mercury and just minutes after learning that she'll be signing with the Seattle Storm. Initial thoughts, what, what do you think about uh, Charles leaving Phoenix? I guess less so, but more so kind of her fit in this on the Storm team. Well, I think Seattle is one of the few teams that would make sense, that made, made the most sense. I thought when I, I saw that she would be leaving Phoenix, um, I figured it'd be either like Seattle or, or Vegas or something like that because I, I think it's, it's really no secret that Tina Charles, she is looking for a championship before she retires. And if you look at all the teams that are really in contention for a title this season, it's what, Seattle, Vegas, Chicago. I don't think she'd sign with Chicago. There's there's not no space for her. But with Seattle, there's a theoretical fit. There. I mean, and then the other two are probably Connecticut and Washington. Yeah, and she yeah, probably wasn't going back to Connecticut or Washington. Nope, nope. She's already been there. I've been there, done that. Uh, so yeah, um, I was really surprised when I saw that you know, um, I think the the person who broke the news is actually the Ron Thule and the Wings play by play announcer saying, "Yep, she's not she's not on the roster." Like that, like that's kind of strange. But um, word obviously got around very quickly. The Mercury put out the "Thank you, Tina" tweet, and uh, here we are. Tina Charles expected to sign with Seattle after clearing waivers in uh, about I'd say forty hours uh, as of recording time. What's your take, Stephen? I mean, yeah, it makes sense. This was definitely a destination that was floated for Tina Charles in the offseason uh, and one that we had kind of revisited a couple of times when talking about Seattle's offseason and sort of the, the opportunity cost of other offseason investments, I guess, that, that they went with. And, and obviously it wasn't a money thing for Tina Charles because she took significantly less than she could elsewhere. But her situation in Phoenix was obviously not the situation she was expecting through no fault of, of any individual person, obviously, except for, you know, the, the Russian government, of course, which is unfortunate. But her signing with Seattle, like you're saying, probably makes as much sense maybe as like you could put together for a Tina Charles, you know, I don't mean ring chasing in a pejorative, but kind of like in ring chasing mode, just trying to be in like the best situation to win a championship possible right yeah she wants to win that that's not an unfair statement and that's not an unfair thing to uh quote unquote accuse her of right i mean she's in the twilight of her wnba career she's accomplished just about everything else that a pro basketball player could possibly accomplish so i mean yeah if, if she uh we are always pro player on this podcast and things definitely have not worked out in phoenix the way she probably expected them to when she signed there this past offseason so how is seattle gonna look with her I don't know. Um, I think the way this works best probably is if like she's not used as sort of the fifth player with their big three and, you know, one of their heavy rotation wings, you know, Gabby Williams or Steph Talbot, but more as sort of the anchor 
of the second unit offense, which has really been kind of Seattle's big struggle, I think, so far this season. And, you know, this is a bottom four offense overall, and that's kind of despite their starting five scoring as well as basically any high-minute lineup in the league. So they are pretty much every other combination of players is really struggling to score the basketball. And I think that's where Charles can help them. I think where you start to worry is if it kind of becomes more than that, right? Yeah, you know, I think Ezzy Magbiger is one of the uh, big breakout stories of this season, particularly defensively. Um, Offensively, she's still got a little ways to go. I think you and I would agree on that. But uh, the way Seattle plays on defense, I mean, they're a very stingy defense. And Magbiger's length and activity and just, like I said, just activity, I guess, would, would be a good word for it, is a huge driving force behind that. Um, Tina Charles, I think, is a downgrade defensively for Magberger. So, and then you also got to consider like. Well, Mercedes let me Ro- ask you, Eric. Do you think Tina Charles immediately becomes the worst defensive player in Seattle's rotation? Oh gosh. Um, because this is a monster defense. They are. It's a very good defense. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're like a, a top four defense. I think they are winning games largely through forty minutes of good defense. So that, that's I why I ask. I feel like she can has the potential to to be a big downgrade defensively let me let me put it this way i if she's playing next to brianna stewart i'm not really worried about defense um i think they have enough defenders to really cover for her although to be fair if she is playing the five you know that is probably the most important defensive position and it's it's difficult to overcome a poor defensive center but i mean there's just so much defense up and down this roster so i don't think i'm as worried about it and between Stewart and Gabby Williams, you you don't just have like good defensive players. You have like great team defensive players as well. Yes. Like these are great help defense yes. players. You know, it's not just players that can kind of lock down individually. Like a Jewel Lloyd, I think of as more of like an individual defender. Um, so that I guess is something that you do worry about a little bit less. But yeah, just I think the downgrade between uh, or from Ezzy to Tina Charles defensively, and just the other thing is like how much of your possessions if you are playing heavy minutes with Lloyd and Stewart is Charles taking because Charles possessions are almost but like guaranteed to be less efficient than Stewart possessions or Lloyd possessions. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why you'd probably favor her coming off the bench, right? You know, we always talk about second units like really good players coming off the bench and feasting against second units. This is the prime example of that, at least theoretically speaking. Um so yeah, now what I think you're getting at here, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, you would not be in favor of starting Tina Charles because that would kind of force out either one of Magbiger or Stewart, and if it doesn't, like you don't really want Stewart playing the three, right? Yeah, that that's kind of my thought process. Uh, I think you start, you continue to start Ezzy Magbiger, and you continue to close games with Ezzy Magbiger. I mean, w- would you? How do I phrase this? Like. Do you see an opportunity for Tina Charles to be kind of the fifth closer, or do you think it's just more of a balanced lineup with Ezzy, or more so just kind of play, you know, as as much talent as you can out there? And, and Charles is obviously a much more accomplished player than Ezzy. I could see the argument for both ways, honestly, because I think Ezzy is still a little bit raw on offense, and to the point where you know she could cost you some very key possessions down the stretch you know i i know you're probably not it's not like you're going to be looking to post up magmager in a in a two-point game or something like that but charles does have the accomplishments she she does have the offensive skill 
Um, and I would honestly feel pretty good about a Stuart Lloyd Charles trio. I mean, I, I guess you could throw Subert in there as well, right? Um, that core of players closing a game just because of the experience factor. You know, keep in mind, like these Charles is no stranger to playing with those players. She, she's played with them in the Olympics too, right? So honestly, I think I actually might go with Tina Charles. I'm not sure if that's an asinine take or anything like that, but uh, I mean, this is Tina. I mean, she's like an MVP. Yeah. Of course, yeah, it's, like it's a very defensible take, you know, but like you're saying the, the pathways to both answers being right is, is pretty obvious, right? Like you can see Charles maybe having too high of a usage with these other really good players. You can see the defense becoming a problem, or you can see her just being Tina Charles and, you know, the kind of you already have Gabby Williams out there in all likelihood. So to have two kind of non-threats offensively, which is sort of the, the case in a lot of ways with Gabby and Ezzy both out there, like maybe you just need that little bit of extra offense from Tina Charles. What I am curious to see is if, and maybe, maybe this is totally irrelevant, but it just came to mind. If Tina Charles continues this kind of three-point leaning approach we've seen over the past few seasons, or if the Storm are, you know, finally the team to get her, to, you know, to play closer to the basket where she's pretty effective. Um, how do you think that's going to work out? Like, because Brandon Stewart is a pretty darn good playmaker for her position. Um, Jewel Lloyd, I think, is, is pretty good. You know, maybe not the best playmaker for a shooting guard, but but pretty good as well. And you've got Subert who always gets the ball to where it needs to go. So, I mean, the potential fit here is, in my opinion, championship caliber. But it's tough when you bring in such a high-usage player who has really never, in her WNBA career, if you think about it, never taken like a, a backseat to anybody. Um, when you bring a player like that in, in the middle of a season, to a core of players who is very, very established. So that would honestly be my biggest concern here. The other opportunity I think I would kind of look to with Tina Charles being on this team is statistically like Lloyd and Stewart are playing almost as much together as they played last year. Um, but, you know, really kind of maximizing those those two players together. Like, I don't think you really have a reason to stagger those players whatsoever anymore. Like, any minute that Brianna Stewart is not on the court, Tina Charles should be on the court to, yeah. to buoy your offense. And because you have a player like Tina Charles, who she doesn't really need to drive, like, insanely efficient second unit offense. They just need sort of league average offense better what they have been right? yeah out of kind of the tina charles led lineups and that would be a massive upgrade over what they have so that opportunity you know now you don't really have to kind of have one of one of lloyd or Bur, uh sorry lloyd or stewart on the court at all times you know you can lean kind of more bench heavy with tina charles sort of anchoring that offensive unit and then really kind of maximize your starting group i'll take that one step further and that tina charles she, she she's not like she's 46 years old and, and very clearly done with basketball. She's still a good player. She's still a starting caliber player. So is there any reason for Seattle to just not play a three big rotation and that's it with Magwiger, Charles and Stewart? No. And they were pretty close to that now. I mean, uh, Stewart is playing over 30 minutes a game, just a, a tick over 30. Ezzy Magwiger is almost playing 30 minutes a game. So if anything, you wonder like, how how many minutes per game can Tina Charles really even get up to? What is the path to her getting to 25 minutes per game? And, you know, if she can't get up to 25 minutes per game, does that, you know, become an issue in the locker room, I guess? Just don't play Jantel Lavender. Uh, don't play Gabby Williams at the four. It's got to be a three-big rotation, right? I mean, there, there's no really good reason not to do that. I know you're, 
you're strongly against WNBA bigs or WNBA teams carrying more bigs than uh, than it's really worthy of playing, and this is the ultimate test of that, I think. So, uh, yeah, anything else on this? This is really exciting, honestly. Yeah, I look forward to seeing how it works out. I, I think, you know, this Seattle team maybe needed a little bit of a shot in the arm for that second unit offense and unfortunately things weren't working out in phoenix so we'll see how it goes but i think also can... one more thing oh, one more ahead. thing um i really hope mercedes russell is okay because this non-basketball injury the uh the constant headaches she's been having reportedly that's that's scary stuff and uh i hope she gets better soon honestly yeah hopefully this is not an indicator of russell's availability for the remainder of the season yeah, exactly that exactly bummer. okay so, on to what we were originally planning for for this episode. We don't really have a a working title for this. Just um, we we had a, we came up with a handful of players um, that we thought may be better suited in different environments or maybe in different environments soon with this very uh, very crazy 2023 WNBA free agency that's coming up. So uh, let us know what you think because uh, this is a pretty fun exercise, and I know everyone always has an opinion on so-and-so needs to be in a different team or needs to be in a different environment or, or free player X. So uh, maybe we'll uh, share some of the same opinions. First things first, I think we need to touch on uh, some players who have recently benefited from uh, recent changes. Oh, yeah, good scenery. call. Lexi Brown, playing with the LA Sparks. Her shooting has kind of faded off a little bit, but if you look at what her role has been on the LA Sparks, more of an off-ball player, starting at the two or, or playing heavy minutes at the two, really not asked to do any sort of ball handling really just asked to shoot the basketball and uh it's done it's it's been good for her and it's been good for the sparks for the most part yeah Um, i mean this was like one of the most perplexing ones for me for like several years kind of lexi brown being shoehorned into more of a ball handling and distributing role when she's a very good i think off ball player and, and a very good spot up shooter and she's really excelling or had started the season excelling i should say at least in la uh, AD, now with the Atlanta Dream, a story that I think every single one of us is really, really happy to see. Um, obviously coming back from long COVID and really not looking like themselves for their first few games in New York. But uh, after being traded to Atlanta, really given a lot of freedom on offense and a, a nice reminder of how good AD, how good of a scorer AD can be when they're on their game. Yeah, they were the number two pick in the draft a few years ago for a reason. And it's nice to see AD kind of be given some real minutes and a real role and, and just some freedom in the offense to kind of explore the studio space and, you know, find their sweet spots offensively. And they've had some really big games. So, uh, and then the last one we have here, Mariah Jefferson, uh, after leaving the Dallas wings, immediately assumed the starting point guard role in Minnesota and is having her best season, I think as a, a WNBA player. So another great story. I thought, honestly, I thought Jefferson's career was, was pretty much done. Um, but it just goes to show what a player can do when the system is is good for them. Jefferson clearly has a lot more to give in the WNBA game, and uh, she's really, like, totally resurrected her career. I didn't see that coming at all. I don't know about you, but, yeah, cool stories all around. All right, now we can get to the our actual exercise. First player I thought of, in fact, I think this was the player who kind of sparked this idea, Charlie Collier, former number one overall pick with the Dallas Wings, playing even less of a role than she did during a very up and down rookie season in 2021 currently she's at the end of their bench and i don't think anybody can really tell you what her current role with the wings is steven yeah her role in the in their rotation seems to be emergency big like really kind of only playing when vicky johnson 
I don't decides know. Decides to. <laughs> yeah, feels like she needs to play every single player on the roster or when Charlie Collier gets taken to shoot emergency free throws. Um, but weird. You know, when everyone is healthy, you know, Sabali, Izzy Harrison, Tierra McCowan, Collier is firmly behind those players. Those are kind of like the players that really give this team minutes at center. Uh, Collier has played one game over 10 minutes this season and has played more games where she didn't play at all or played under five minutes than she's cracked over 10 minutes for her career. So um, has not been involved in the few minutes that she's been out there. 17 shooting possessions in 12 games, has not recorded a steal or block or an assist yet, uh, and is one of two players in the league, Eric, to play in at least 10 games and play fewer than five minutes per game. So, of course, this is strictly a Vicky Johnson thing where... You know, it's, it's not even like she's not playing certain games and then getting a decent amount of burn. Like, you know, she's playing 26 seconds in one game, 96 seconds in another game, 80 seconds in another game. Um, so really kind of just entering the game at some point, but really not a factor at all in their game plan. And I must stress again that this is a former number one overall pick. This isn't an undrafted free agent. This is somebody who the Wings theoretically invested very heavily in and for that reason i can't look at this situation as anything other than an object failure either by the wings front office by the wings coaching staff the truth is probably somewhere in between right steven like this is not unfortunately the first time with the wings where you've seen them draft a player and the coaching staff just doesn't play that player and it's like well what was the vision here um for collier one key question when determining, I think, maybe what her ideal role is, whether it be on the wings or another team, what does she excel at? And this is the problem. Like, we just don't have much of a sample size at the WNBA level to say, like, you know, some, of the, some of the other players in the list, on this list, like, have clear strengths. Like, okay, well, they'd excel in this system, on this team, with these players. Collier's still kind of a mystery to me. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe the ideal role for Collier, if you're projecting kind of best case scenario is like could she be sort of a Tierra McCowan type you know a microwave scorer but as a center rather than a perimeter player but I'm not even sure kind of what her offensive strengths are at this level like is she more back to the basket is she better kind of facing up you know is she a pick and roll center I don't feel confident that she would really excel at, at any of those but you and with that being said, like you feel still better about her as an offensive player than a defensive player, uh, yeah. at least. Yeah, you know, I, when you talk about her theoretical offensive skills, I think that was part of her appeal as a prospect was that you saw shades of a jump shot, you saw shades of a post game, you saw shades of, you know, glimpses of a, a face-up game, nothing truly established, but you could see her developing into a multiple, into a player who had multiple offensive skills. Um, for whatever reason, that just didn't come around. Maybe it's a playing time thing. Maybe it's a confidence thing. But yeah, I'm really not seeing Collier. Like, it, that's why it's hard to determine what her ideal role is, right? Because we haven't really seen anything. I think maybe I would say I'm just going to go pick and roll center because she's still young. She's still athletic. She's She's got good length. You know, the one thing you can maybe point out about strengths is you know, like offensive rebounding. Like, she put up pretty good offensive rebounding metrics in her limited time last season. But the problem is, like, Ideally, every one of your bigs is going to be a good rebounder, right? So that's just not enough. Especially, you know, there are a million players that can be effective offensive rebounders. And also do something else. Yeah, you need 
you know, that that alone is kind of not going to carry you to rotation minutes if you aren't really bringing anything else to the table. So I guess where do you see kind of more opportunities for Collier? Because she's clearly sort of more of, you know, a quote unquote, you know, project type player more than like an established commodity, right? Like you, you don't exactly know what you're going to get from her. So if you are inserting her into the rotation, you kind of have to have some patience, right? So ideally it's a place that is not overly invested in winning the minutes that she'll be playing. Do you think that's fair to say? Very fair. Yeah. So, I mean, Indiana is probably an obvious one. They could probably give her, you know, a consistent 12 to 15 minutes per game. They want to play Queen Egbo. They want to play some minutes with Nalissa Smith at the five alongside Emily Engstler. But Collier could play those other other minutes for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, besides Indiana, I don't know, <laughs> really. I, I mean, you look at the other bad teams in the league, Minnesota, but obviously a good a good deal of their minutes are going to a pretty darn good center there. You have Atlanta in our notes. I mean, she's a more interesting flyer than Beatrice Montpremier. She know. is, and Montpremier Ma- hasn't really been playing, so. Montpremier, I mean, she has lately because they're they're just so short Oh, because they have nobody, like, yeah. Yeah, when, when everyone's healthy, yeah. But Montpremier is another player where you're, not 100% sure what the WNBA skill is. So at least Collier has kind of like a a lottery pick sort of prior to, to kind of lean on. That's, know, something that they, that's something that they put in their press release. Like, oh, they signed they signed former lottery pick Charlie Collier. I, like, I mean, sadly, that would probably make their press release. But Yeah, no, I mean, it would. I mean, honestly, a couple hours ago, I put Phoenix has higher ambitions, but, but maybe they don't. Maybe at this point, you know, they're just mm. ready to kind of take on some flyers. And even so, she would probably be an upgrade over... Uh, Megan Gustafson or the recently waived Christina Nigue. Uh The problem, of course, with Phoenix mm. is they don't really have anything to give up in a trade. You know, I think they have their third round pick, um, so not really anything of value. Would, would she really be even an upgrade over Gustafson, though? Anigwe, I agree. But Gustafson, it does seem like she has, they have kind of found something with the pick and roll game with her. Yeah, Gustafson is, you know, she's been a very effective offensive player. She has a year. defined skill. That's true. That's uh, that fits very well with at least you know Phoenix's guards. I have no clue how Collier is going to fit with any of these teams except you know like player and find out, which is going back to it again a very depressing thing to say about a uh, former number one overall pick. Um, yeah, you know one thing I want to say about this is that the league doesn't seem to have as much patience with uh, I don't want to say bust, but high highly drafted bigs who don't pan out right away um i'm thinking like elena coates evelyn akator also a wings pick lauren cox some recent examples there you know you know bigs that were drafted with using a high lottery draft pick and they just didn't pan out in their immediate draft locations and you just kind of i don't want to say never heard from them again because you know coates has bounced around and and cox you know was recently playing but you know, I mean, really but these the players have had list. like one or two other shots and then it's been kind of... Exactly, exactly. So they're not at the top of anyone's shopping list anymore. And it's not like this was 20 years ago either. You know, they're still pretty young players. So I think the main key is, like you said, who's going to be patient enough to see if Charlie Collier can develop or not? Um, as you always point out, teams love carrying five bigs for some reason. So that could work in her favor. But again, I mean... There's got to be a reason why she's just not playing, right? And I hate to say it, but, you know, sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. And the other thing that maybe goes in her favor is she's still in her 
second season, so next cheap. year she'll still be on the lower minimum. So she's cheap, cheap. Yep, a little bit better chance of, of maybe making a roster. That's also a pretty sad thing to factor in. You know, like oh, she's cheap, so they can help teams stay under the cap. But anyway, um, moving on here. Uh, this is an interesting player. I didn't think of you thought of this one, uh, Brianna Jones. Yeah, I mean, Brianna Jones is probably overqualified for the spirit of this list, but you know, she's in a role that I think she can certainly do more than she's kind of given the opportunity for her kind of current role, you know, third big, but also like the second unit offensive hub. They're playing a lot through Brianna Jones. And quite frankly, she, she might be their best offensive player this year on the Connecticut sun. Uh, she's very overqualified for her current 26 minutes a game. You know, maybe the, the efficiency numbers are like a, a little bit inflated because she's playing so much against second units that, you know, just they they don't have the talent to match up with Brianna Jones. Like she's just going to kill second units because she's a starting level center. But it's not ex- exclusively that. Like she's doing, she's been in high leverage she, minutes for this team and, and doing well as well. She was killing it against starting units last season, right? So yeah, exactly. you know there's something there. Um, but, you know, this team is kind of running out of room for her. I I don't really believe in sort of the playoff viability of playing Brianna Jones and John Quill Jones and Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner all together, you know, okay. against real teams in in a five game series. So Brianna Jones is having a, a terrific season. She's third in the league in true shooting on fifteen shooting possessions per thirty six minutes. So when she's out there, you know, she's she's getting the ball. It's not like you just kind of wonder what she can do, but she has earned a starting center role which she, she had previous two seasons uh, when this team was missing one of those aforementioned players. But, you know, she just keeps getting better every year. And at some point, you know, she's going to be a, a player that a team is more kind of committed to, I think. The Sun just aren't going to be able to afford her after this offseason, I don't think. Um, that's purely from a, a cap perspective. Uh, this is a player who I think, as you said, kind of overqualified for the purpose of our list. But she could fit in just about anywhere, I think. You know, maybe not as a starting center because obviously there are still some centers in this league who are better than Brianna Jones. But at the same time, in my opinion, I think her skill set is very malleable because you don't need to worry about her, you know, needing the basketball in order to be effective. Um, she's one of the few players, like, yes, she can actually be efficient on post-ups. One of the things Steven always likes to say is, you know, just because you're a center doesn't mean you need to post them up. Brianna Jones is good at posting up. She's, she's a very efficient post-up player. But also, she's a good offensive rebounder. I mean, there are basically like four of those in the league, and Brianna Jones is one of them, you know? Yes, yes. Very elite company. Um, she's got really good hands on defense, you know, uh, an area in which I am very pleasantly surprised uh, she's improved She's improved in. What am I missing? You know, the rebounding is better when she's on the floor, not even if she doesn't get the rebound because she's just so good at boxing out. Just a really, really steady player that I think any team could use. Well, but- and she's she's been a dominant post-up player for three seasons now. And now she has really improved her pick-and-roll game. Uh, That's as, true. So that sort of feeds into the kind of malleability of Brianna Jones, where you thought, you know, maybe a year or half and a half ago, two years ago, like she wasn't that malleable. You had to kind of play her through the post. And if she didn't have the ball in her hands, you know, she was kind of a player that was sort of you know, squeezing you a little bit offensively, but with her improved skill set in the pick and roll, like she's not just a back to the basket player anymore. She can do a little bit more on the move as well. And even if she was purely a back to the basket player, look at the offensive ecosystem in Connecticut. You're not getting any floor spacing there, no matter what. So, I mean, Brianna Jones is going to be a free agent. 
I assume, a very highly coveted free agent. What team needs a starting center, Stephen? Well, when this was being discussed on Twitter the other day, the one that immediately came to mind was like, what if the LA Sparks had the same exact team, but it was Brianna Jones instead of Liz Cambage? Yeah. What do you think about that? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, what is Liz Cambage supposed to be doing for the Sparks right now? Exactly what Brianna Jones is doing. But but Jones worse. can, <laughs> you know, give you more minutes. Uh, crazy enough to, to talk about Brianna Jones that way, given a few years ago. Well, she was not a very high-minute center, and, and she's turned herself into one that can definitely play high minutes for you. And be better on defense. I mean, let's be honest. Liz Cambage has just had an atrocious defensive season, whereas Jones, I mean, she's clearly limited on that end, but... She's, so she's much better solid. than she was two years ago, though. Exactly, yeah. Just, once again, very, very uh, solid improvement. Um, I think Minnesota would be another logical choice, considering that Sylvia Fowles is retiring after this season. Uh, big shoes to fill literally and figuratively. I mean, this is a really interesting one to me because you've seen them sort of, I mean, Sylvia Foz is obviously an all-time player, but they are the same type of offensive player where it's it's back to the basket post-ups. You know, you're, you're not really going to have to kind of change too much of what you do offensively because you're swapping out Sylvia Foz for Brianna Jones. Now, they do already have Natalia Chanwa, which kind of hampers, you know, maybe what they want to do, but you're really only looking at one season of overlap. A Chanwa is you know, we'll be going into the last year of her. I mean, all of this, we're basically talking about next season. It, it's pretty much yeah. impossible to find a trade partner for Connecticut because Jones is, you know, paid so much lower of a salary than where, what her talent is commensurate of, you know? Yeah. Minnesota, that's a really interesting fit because as you said, not a heck of a lot would need to change. Um, and it's another situation in which Jones wouldn't need the basketball that often. Although I think, you know, again, she's a pretty darn efficient offensive player. Um, actually, not not I'm thinking about it. That would be something like would Ariel Powers be giving up uh, shots to get Brianna Jones a basketball? But yeah, I mean, obviously Minnesota is going to need a center who can play a lot of minutes. They're going to have the money, theoretically, and I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up there. Uh, I think she's I, a good fit next to Collier and a good fit yeah. next to Dantas. Yeah, um, both both great fours to play next to her. And it's not like, and, and you look at the way they have, if, if Minnesota, for some reason, once again, strikes out on, on getting a really, really good point guard in free agency, Brianna Jones doesn't need a really, really good point guard to be effective, right? I, I mean, obviously it would help, but. Yeah, but because, you know, she's so much more effective as a, a post-up player than a pick and, like, she's, she's not relying on pick and roll offense to be exactly. effective. Exactly. Um, what about Dallas as a destination for Bree Jones? What about Dallas? Um. It's kind of interesting you bring that up because right now they've got about 30 centers on their roster. But again, heading into free agency, it's interesting because I thought heading into the season, I, I thought for sure Isabel Harrison would be gone by next season. Now I'm not convinced because it seems like her role in Dallas is still pretty big. Um, but if they can't keep her and, you know, obviously they're going to need to pay up for Mabry. So, hmm, that is interesting. How would she fit in Dallas? I mean, they obviously have a lot of options on there. Harrison, McCowan, the aforementioned Charlie Collier. Uh, and I think she is, Brianna Jones is better than all of those players. Would you agree with me? Absolutely. Um, but the best case scenario for this team is is probably still Satu Sabali closing at center alongside Kayla Thornton right now and alongside Awat Queer, you know, two, three years from now. So I think Sabali can give you minutes at the, four and perfectly good minutes at the four but when you're kind of just thinking about how you maximize your best players is it playing alongside brianna jones i'm, I'm not sure for satu Sabali. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It for me, it would be interesting because they would just be doing so much rearranging of their roster. I mean, they did just trade for McCowan. It's not a huge investment, but you'd figure like, okay, Harrison would probably be gone. Collier would probably be gone. Queer probably sticking around. McCowan, you know, like why not? You gotta think about Bella Allery. Remember, she's hopefully coming back next season. So eh, I I think Jones could do better as, as far as role as far as the size of her role is concerned yeah i don't like dallas as much as the the other two teams that we just talked about uh you have phoenix well yeah as sort of a depressing option you know if things don't work out with yeah uh yeah. or i mean even if Brittany griner is safely returned home you know we would all understand if she's just not in a place to return to basketball next season but sure. you know if sure. if phoenix just has to reset a little bit honestly i wrote this before the tina charles news you know because you just we're already kind of assuming that this wasn't <laughs> always happens to us here. a two-year project. But, you know, if they just kind of want to reset a little bit, you assume at some point Diana Taurasi is going to retire and then you're building around Skylar Diggins-Smith. And I think you could do worse than Bree Jones as sort of a, a, a guard big pairing. I agree. I agree. Um, one thing I had to throw in there because I can was Chicago. Um, a lot of uncertainty for this guy heading into this offseason, I think, whether Candace Parker is going to return whether Courtney Vandersloot is going to return, whether Ellie Quigley is going to return, whether Ezra Stevens, up and down the list. If there is a, an opening for a front court player, I think Bree Jones would be good in Chicago. This, of course, depends on who is there. But once again, going looking at the offensive ecosystem, vastly different than what it is in Connecticut. Even if, like, say, Parker retires and Vandersloot stays, that's still way different than what Brianna Jones is used to. She'd be able to play in space. Transition, maybe not so much. Um, but I mean, think about it. like Emma Meesman would be a great front court partner for Brianna Jones, even if Van Exel's not there. Like Julie Almond is a very good distributor uh, from what we've seen so far. And like if my team, this guy just totally gets taken to the cleaners in free agency, um, Brianna Jones wouldn't be the worst. You know what, price. though? Brianna Jones has never really played with a guard that attacks the rim like Kalea Copper does. I wonder how she would sort of adjust her game because she's obviously a player that plays her offensive game very close to the rim. And when you are close to the rim, your defender is also very Very close to the rim. Like they don't really play with sort of a non-spacing big at all. Like not except for kind of the Ruthie Hebert minutes, which are are few and far between. Like of their three bigs, you know, Stevens, Misaman, and Parker, all those players can kind of give Copper some room to really attack the hoop. That's a really good point. And looking at Kalia Copper, like she is the future for the Chicago Sky. Like she got the bag this past offseason. She's going to be featured, I'm guessing, more prominently next season than she is this season. So you might be building around Kalia Copper. And if that's the case, I'm not sure if Jones is best for That's a good point, Stephen. Let's move on to the reigning Rookie of the Year, Michaela Onyenwede, a player who has uh, drastically seen her role reduced from year one to year two with a much deeper New York Liberty team, playing a little bit more of kind of a, a mixed role than she did last year, where she was, you know, pretty much primarily this team's starting power forward, kind of playing like 60-40 power forward now with a, a little bit of, of minutes at small forward, which... You know, I think the theory is that she can do both of those things well, but she's she's kind of at the bottom of this team's rotation now. Okay, so I lied. This was actually the player I had in mind when I was thinking about this uh, concept for our episode. But yeah, um, she seems to be operating much more as a wing this season than last season. And for some reason, that hasn't really served her 
her, her minutes very well. And because, I mean, look at what the Liberty have gone through this season. The Najelani out eight weeks after, you know, suffering that knee setback. Rebecca Allen has been in and out of the lineup. Jocelyn Willoughby has been out for a little while. Um, all wing players. So you would, you would think that Onyenwere would, you know, get her opportunity just by default. That has not been the case. Her usage rate remains very, very small. 17.4% down from 17.6% last season. But even if you're looking at that, it just seems like her role in the offense is just spot up from three. And if you don't get the ball, then you don't get the ball. And she seems to have maybe even fallen behind Dee Dee Richards in the lineup. and Which rotation, is weird. I should say. Which yeah. is weird because Richard was out for, she was out for so long and now she's just leapfrogs onion wary. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, but yeah, they, they, like you're saying, they don't really put too much of a, an offensive role in Michaela Onyewere's hands. You know, she's not really creating for herself in any meaningful way. Like all of her offense for the most part is either leaking out in transition or if you're in the half court kind of coming as a spot up player, either shooting the spot up three or attacking and close out. And I think playing as a three so much more than last season where she was almost exclusively a four has really affected her finishing because this team does not really play with great spacing bigs, you know, even though in theory, I think they're supposed to be great spacing bigs, but, you know, none of them have really done that exceptionally well, I would say. You're not um, a stretch big if they don't guard you out there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, her... F- Onion Wedges finishing has really fallen off as, as a result of that. And as a result, I think, of just kind of small sample size because she's just taking much fewer shots and, and much fewer shots are on the rim. So, you know, you can kind of let that affect you a little bit. But I guess, you know, when you put her on the list for a player you would like to kind of see in a different role, was that role that you had in mind kind of meaningfully different than what she was doing last season? In the Liberty games that I've watched this season, yeah. I think her role was different last season because it, it just seemed like she was encouraged to attack the basket more often. Like I don't, I'm not looking at the synergy stats, so maybe I'm, I'm just completely pulling this out of thin air, but it, it really seems like her one greatest strength, which is her athleticism is not really being taken advantage of at all. Like I said, her role is, is spot up. And if you don't get the basketball, then you don't get the basketball. If you do get the basketball, you shoot it. And that is not the Michaela onion that I'm used to seeing. That's kind of the opposite, Michaela Onyewari, that I'm used to seeing. You know, um, someone who is, you know, like relentlessly either attacking a basket or attacking the glass, just giving a ton of energy inside the perimeter rather than outside the perimeter. Like, that obviously also brings some questions because, she's, you know, she's 5'11". She's probably not as strong or, or as big as most of the players should be matching up with. But it just doesn't seem like an optimal environment for her right now. And there's probably a good reason for it. You know, the Liberty have gone with three guard lineups lately and it has done them very very well so i don't know if michaela onyewari's future is in new york you know i i feel like people around the organization are maybe not as as high on michaela onyewari but i i still kind of really like the structure of this player you know like uh a small ball and i i the other thing is i wish this team just went smaller more often like it's great that you have three bigs that you feel comfortable playing all the time and and Han Chu, Steph Dolson and Natasha Howard, but that doesn't mean you can never go small and play small. Like I think you had sort of a decent formula last season and you have better players to do that this year than than last year. Uh so would like to see them just empower Michaela Onyenwede and company a little bit more in that way. I mean, do you think it's just sort of like the the defensive end that that losing her minutes, I guess? 
That could be because I don't think she has a defensive position. And then, and for the players like that, it's really tough to find the minutes unless they're an elite offensive player. And Onyewere is not an elite offensive player. She's still pretty raw on that end of the floor. I think she has improved a little bit offensively, at least with her jump shot. But that's a good point. I mean, if the Liberty can't find a spot for her defensively, she's not going to have much of a role offensively. So it's it's kind of like a domino effect there. Um, you go to a lot of Liberty games. Are you seeing anything like in person? Like, what's your what's your ideal scenario for this? I mean, my ideal scenario for Michaela Onu, I think she should probably play over Didi Richards. Like, neither one of those players are getting guarded a ton, but Onion Wede will at least hit an open three sometimes. Um, again, I think they should maybe go small a little bit. Like, if she just ate into a little bit more of Didi Richards' minutes and just a few of Steph Dolson's minutes. But, you know, this this team also just has better depth than they had a year ago, and, and that's probably part of it. You know, even if she's the, exactly as good as she was last year, there are different players that are maybe better than that level of player. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you say, okay, she's the 2021 Rookie of the Year. What were the circumstances surrounding that? How did she get put in that situation? Because she got put in a pretty favorable situation compared to most other rookies from that class last year. So, yeah, could just be a, a victim of that, honestly. Let's move on. Uh, a player that you put in here who I hadn't really considered. Uh, so far, we've been talking about players who may need bigger roles. Victoria Vivians. Do you think she's actually in too big of a role in Indiana? I do, yeah. I mean, she, her current role is, you know, starting wing. You know, she's their starting small forward. She plays a ton of minutes for them. She's basically their second perimeter scorer behind Kelsey Mitchell. She's third on the team in usage, you know, for their real players in their rotation this season. Second on the team in minutes, second on the team in total shooting possessions. And I just kind of want to see what this player is in a lower usage role. And she's been in a lower usage role, in a, a lower minute role previously, the last two seasons. But both of those were kind of, you know, her first season coming off a major injury. And we've talked many times in the past of how it takes two seasons, typically for WNBA players to recover from those major knee injuries. She's at that point now. She started the season off pretty well shooting the three, which is one thing you worry about coming off ACL injuries. Yeah. And the other thing is that like those teams were bad and they didn't have good offensive players. Uh, I would love to see what Victoria Vivians looks like as primarily a spot up option where she isn't doing a ton of self-creation, where she's, you know, the fourth or fifth best offensive player on the floor, taking like two thirds of her shots behind the line. It does seem, I agree with you, it does seem like you don't really want Vivian's handling the basketball. Part of the reason why is because most of the time it ends up in a jump shot off the dribble, which, uh, as you have in our notes here, not a particularly efficient shot for Vivian's. It's not like she's much of a distributor either, right? So that usage is surprisingly high for me. Don't get me wrong, it is really nice to see her healthy again. I wasn't sure if we would ever see that, really, because um, several knee injuries, actually. But you would expect her to be primarily just a spot-up shooter. I think that, that I agree with you. That's a, that's a good role for her. I mean, the, I guess the other thing is there's not really a ton of those around. The, like the WNBA is a very egalitarian league. You know, everybody kind of gets a lot of sort of opportunities to do things off the bounce, you know? That's true. That's true. So th that's a good point. And, and taking that a step further, Vivian's range is not just like at the three-point line. Like she can really bomb it. Um, maybe shot selection is not something that is one of her strengths, but like my, my point is you, you legitimately need to guard Victoria Vivian's out there. 
So that makes her a valuable asset to pretty much any team with any sort of playmaking, right? Yeah, I mean, you would you would hope so, and the numbers kind of bear that out. She's 1.2 points per possession this season on no dribble jumpers in spot-ups. Those are the types of shots that we're talking about. That's what she should be taking. She's very effective doing that. It's, it's just about everywhere else that she's been struggling. Under three-quarters of a point per possession in dribble jumpers off spot-ups. She's in the second percentile around the basket in the half court. 15th percentile scoring out of the pick and roll. So I think, as you said before, the actual shot selection is not good. You know, we, we, or it can be a struggle at times. Uh, and even some of that is from behind the arc too. You know, she definitely likes to bomb away on some, some pretty tough shots behind there. But, you know, at least if you're hitting that at 35%, it's more points than if you hit a long two at 35%, which has kind of been where she's at this season. So uh, the other problem is that she's not a very good defensive player, so it kind of makes that 3 and D role a little bit more challenging when you're only providing one half of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There really aren't that many actual 3 and D players in the WNBA, and Victoria Vivians is she's pretty much such a 3. So um, any ideal landing places for Vivians if she were to be on the move? I mean, the first one that came to mind is Las Vegas, where she could play alongside like two of their creators pretty much at all times, whether it's, you know, their two point guards, Jackie Young, the offense kind of going through Asia Wilson, like she would almost always be no higher than like the fourth or fifth best offensive player on that team. And they desperately need wing depth. The problem is they don't have anything to really give up unless they wanted to move on from one of Shepard or Bell, and that's probably too big of an asking price, I would say. Okay, I'm going to once again say Chicago, and this this is probably a little more realistic, I think. Uh, entering the offseason, we're not sure really how much uh, shooting this guy is going to have, particularly with Allie Quigley. You know, her future is uncertain. If you're looking for a player who can shoot, I mean, that's Vivian's, and if you're looking for a team that is hopefully going to have some playmaking, that's Chicago. If you look at how Chicago plays right now, like how good they are at moving the basketball and how they've got playmakers at several different positions, she would get pretty good looks at the basketball. And you wouldn't need to worry about her being overtaxed and too much of a ball handler role. I mean, I think she'd be pretty optimized as an off-ball threat there, do you? Yeah, I can see that working out. Unless this think... guy just suffered a disaster of an off-season and they like just need something else. But if you need a shooter coming off the bench, yeah. Yeah, uh, the thing I was going to say is that I, I do kind of look at Chicago as like a very kind of egalitarian offense though like everybody on that team can pretty much shoot or dribble you know that they don't really play a ton of specialists really that is true that is true I wonder how that would have changed if if Crystal Bradford didn't get injured and uh because I mean she kind of would have ideally been in that role this season but she's probably even more of a versatile offensive player than Vivian's is so that's a good question all right let's move on to another Indiana Fever. You want to lead us into this one? Yeah, okay. So this one, Tiffany Mitchell. She's playing by far the fewest minutes, 13.5 per game of her career. 15.9% usage, by far the lowest of her career. Um, I think you can kind of tie this into Victoria Vivian's getting healthy again because when she was out, you saw a lot of Tiffany Mitchell playing like very small, small forward minutes. But I mean, whichever way you want to slice the pie, she's a bench guard this season. And I don't know, if I was to take a stab at things, I would say she's not really in the Fever's long-term plans, um, which is interesting because I think she's she can be a pretty effective player in the right system. 
looking at her synergy play types, she's mostly been steady around 30% as a pick and roll ball handler in the previous few seasons. Although the Fever have kind of changed up how they want to play their offense. You know, they want to get up early shots. They want to play with more pace than they did recently. But her her frequencies have been pretty much the same uh, over the years. So, what do you think about Tiffany Mitchell? This is a player who I would love to see like what it looks like on a good team. I mean, she's played pretty much every type of role that Indiana could offer her, right? Like she's been sort of more of a bench wing in decent minutes her first couple seasons. You know, she's been there starting three, which is probably not the best role for her. The thing about Tiffany Mitchell is she has, I think, one really defined skill as a WNBA player, which you you definitely would like to see from a guard, right? And that is attacking the basket. She can, especially these last couple years, when given the opportunity, not so much earlier in her career, but she can really be an efficient two-point scorer and she can get all the way to the rim and she can get to herself to the line pretty well. And she's a great free throw shooter when she gets there. Really? So, yeah. It's one of those kind of classic conundrums where she's best when she has the ball because she's not an effective three-point shooter, but is she good enough to warrant having the ball over the other options that could have the ball? Okay, so we're thinking, if that's the case, probably not going to be back with Indiana next season, if I was to guess. You know, maybe, maybe, but this is, for me... I mean, they seem to kind of be moving away from her a little bit. They do, and like, if, if if I was Tiffany Mitchell, like, I'm looking at this team like, okay, I've... I've been through several coaching staffs now. I've been this 20-plus minute-per-game player, 20-plus usage rate player for many years now, and now I'm taking a back seat to some, some younger blood. So, yeah, might not might want to move on to some players, to some teams, rather, who at the very least are going to be, like, at least contending for a title or, or going to be a little better than the Fever. So um, I said Washington. You said no. Uh, I'm just I mean, I didn't say to- no. <laughs> You, you, you no, I mean, you raised a good point as to why that wouldn't be the best fit. I, I was going to say it's because she could play alongside some three-point shooters, and Washington is an ecosystem where you know, floor spacing is very highly valued, so you would think she'd have some room to attack the basket. Um, but I think you rightfully brought up that if she was playing with Rui Machida, you know, you have both your guards are not really a threat to shoot the three-pointer. And if Elizabeth Williams is back on the team next season, that's not a lot of floor spacing. Yeah, I so. guess I was kind of looking at this more. I was like a, an in-season move. I think, you know, year over year, your bench can be reshuffled. So I think there's right. there's a way for that to work out well in Washington. I mean, before this Tina Charles news, uh, I was thinking that, like, this is a player that could really help Seattle, keep Seattle's second unit offensive float. You know, okay. you, you wouldn't want her playing with the starters because of her very specific skill set. Um, and obviously, you know, she's not, she'd be a big downgrade defensively from Gabby Williams. But she's a player that can at least do something offensively when the second unit that they have going, you know, pre-Tina Charles, like, really couldn't do anything. You know, what if she was in Steph Talbot's current role, kind of trying to do keep that second unit offensive float? I thought that that would maybe work out okay. It could. If, if you look at Tiffany Mitchell, here's the thing. Here's my question. Is she better suited in a, like, a 15% usage role or a 23 24% usage role? You'd probably want her usage to be a little bit higher, right? Yeah, otherwise she might be kind of taking more off the table than she's providing, right? right? That, that's so kind of what in you're that case, at. I'm kind of I'm, right now I'm kind of struggling to think of a team that would want that would be able to offer her that kind of role while taking on that salary. Well, here's a pretty good team that doesn't value shooting: the Connecticut Sun. 
What do you think <laughs> yeah. about that? I was thinking about that, but just to troll you, are you serious? I mean, kind of. They <laughs> they could desperately use somebody that actually gets all the way to the rim. They, they could. don't care if you shoot threes. You know, they'll, they'll just let John Quill Jones be their only three-point shooter. Uh, and Natisha Heidemann. I mean, honestly, I think there are there are worse fits than Tiffany Mitchell. There are. There are. I guess my question with that is, I guess I'm just so used to Connecticut having no cap space for absolutely anything that it, it, it's just the concept of having another veteran guard come in for anything above the minimum. Maybe Tiffany Mitchell does take the minimum. I, I, I mean, would you rather for, you know, equal salary in an equal role, would you rather have Tiffany Mitchell or Courtney Williams? Oh, that's a trap. I mean, it's probably still Courtney Williams. She's it's probably still Courtney Williams, defender. but uh, I mean, the answer now is, is a lot closer than it was in previous seasons. I'll, I'll give you that. A lot to be determined in free agency, that's for sure. Okay, we need to move on here. Yet another fever. Well, I didn't realize they were organized in this order, but Bria Hartley, currently um, a bench guard that doesn't play. She's on an expiring contract. I don't think there's really much to say here other than that she's in Indiana because they had to take on salary in exchange for additional draft capital in 2023. And I will give them this... This is they've done a good job at not kind of forcing themselves into playing a player just because she's getting paid a lot of money. Hartley is clearly not in their plans for the future, so they are not tying themselves down with minutes that could be going to the development of their younger players. So, is Bria Hartley done in the WNBA? I don't think she's done. I don't think so. I don't think she's done, but it's it's going to be a question for me this offseason, Stephen, because it's been a while since we've seen Hartley at her best. And even when she was at her best, uh, what well, kind of salary is her, she trying to command? Her best was such... It was anomalous. It was a lightning in a bottle type thing. You know, yeah. there were a few weeks where she was playing better than she had really ever played in the WNBA. That was in her her age 27 season. So just about the time you're expected to hit your your best, but, you know, not really to the point of being you know, far and away better than the type of player that you had been previously. You know, she was well above career norms in in an environment where everybody was well above career norms in that early That's a good point. Uh, bubble season. Um, and that was, you know, a major knee injury ago. And, and now she's two, not quite two years away from it, but getting to the two-year point. So this is where you would be kind of expecting to see a little bit more progress um but obviously she's just not in this team's plans so you you don't really know kind of what you have here i don't think the reason why i'm not optimistic about this is because lately we've seen a trend of wnba teams kind of pushing out veteran players or at least veteran players who could be commanding like mid-level salaries in order to stay under the cap to sign cheaper players to afford their star veterans i I mean never mind mid-level salaries just going with zero to two year rookies rather than veterans right right exactly so Hartley seems like a prime candidate to me to be squeezed out. There might be a couple interesting, you know, destinations. Maybe Atlanta. You know, she she's kind of the same type of player as maybe an Erica Wheeler if they don't retain her. You don't know what Tiffany Hayes is going to do. I mean, I just can't see Bria Hartley commanding a very big role based on what's been happening recently with her. You know, like again, it's been so long since we've seen her play even replacement level basketball that. Eh. Maybe Las Vegas just for someone else to handle the ball, but they need a wing. Yeah, I mean, Hartley is one that I hope we see play in like an important overseas league to kind of see kind of what her athleticism looks like Okay. over the offseason, you know, because that's really going to be the only way we, we have any idea of where she is physically. She's probably not going to play. Uh, maybe she, you know, ends up getting a buyout um, from the Fever at some point this year. But you would think if the Fever 
were interested in doing that, Bria Hartley was extremely late coming over this year. They very easily could have just suspended her when she didn't show up on time, cleared the salary off of her books, and used that roster spot on someone else. They didn't do that, so they must, at least in some capacity, want her on this team, right? Yeah, they want her on for some reason. Not really sure what that reason is, but we are not uh, supposed to know everything that goes on. So, okay, yeah, like I said, that was probably going to be a pretty short and sweet one. We'll see what happens with Hartley. Probably not done in the WNBA, but uh, I'd be surprised if she, you know, reaches her 2020 bubble levels of play again. I think we've got like one more. Sure, Let, we can touch on this one. This is one where uh, Eric, our wish might come true because it might. We are moving on to Brianna Turner. Uh, we prepared this before the Tina Charles news. Um, her current role, quote unquote, is as a historically low usage defensive specialist next to a high usage center. Up to literally today, that has been her role for her entire career, whether it be Tina Charles or Brittany Griner. Uh, Brianna Turner is on pace to post essentially the lowest usage percentage among a high minute player in league history. So what is it? Uh, it is 7.3%, I believe. Oh, yeah. That is quite, almost impossible. Quite, yeah. <laughs> but she's she's finding a way. Um, and I want to see Brianna Turner as a pick and roll center, not a power forward playing next to a center, but a pick and roll center surrounded by shooting with what she already has on this roster, a really good pick and roll guard that can use her as the unique weapon of a lob threat that she is. WNBA teams don't really operate like you described but i think it would be interesting to see brianna turner in, in kind of a i want to say small ball five i mean it, it would be pretty small but yes yeah, surrounded by shooting and using her offensively as a lob threat because as we've mentioned several times on this podcast there are not a lot of WNBA players who can effectively finish lobs and turner is one of them like she's a really good athlete and i think she's maybe a better finisher than she's given credit for i agree with you you know i mean she, she doesn't she's not really out of control going to the basket I think maybe her series against Chicago in the finals last season maybe soured her, soured the overall perception on her as an offensive player. Like she does have strengths as an offensive player. I think it's extremely situational. Like if you get her the ball at the elbow and she has to take a dribble, that's bad. If you get her the ball right at the rim, that's going to be really good. Like she's going to score a very high number for you when she doesn't have to put the ball on the floor. But you can't play her next to a paint bound big. Because no, and ideally, you don't even want to play her like Brianna Stewart isn't a paint-bound big, but she's still a high-usage big. You know, I think really kind of this specific role where you would be using her and like you were saying, a way that is not used in the WNBA, but, you know, I would say that there are not Brianna Turners in the WNBA aside from this one. True. Is around, uh, like, let's say, a Michaela Onyenwede, a player who commands not a lot of touches, but will be guarded you know, they're not going to overhelp from her. Maybe only way is a bad example in that regard. But, you know, a floor spacing, low usage for. How about Minnesota? Not saying that Fisa Collier is low usage unless something weird is happening. But she is a four that can't, I don't know, maybe floor spacing is the wrong term there. But I, I could see Minnesota surrounding her with shooters, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really like, I guess... I like Mariah Jefferson less less in that role as the point guard kind of because what you sort of need in this situation is the I mean we just talked about how Brianna Turner's role in this is very rare but also what is rare is like the guard who can kind of high volume pick and roll operate score efficiently for herself and dime up the center for lob threats so I mean you have it 
you know, on roster, you have what you need in Skylar Diggins Smith. She's probably one of two or three. You know, you think about Courtney Vandersloot, you think about Sabrina Ionescu, maybe Kennedy Carter, if but there's not a lot of players that can really kind of get dribble penetration, are good enough passers, are on target, on the move passers in that way. Well, it sounds like an extremely specific scenario that you're looking for for Brianna Turner. But you have um, it. You you can do it. Yeah. You know, you don't need, really need to do anything differently than what this team has right now. And hey, man, it might come to fruition because Phoenix is a disaster. If if uh, you know Tarazi calls it quits soon, eventually, maybe sometime in the next decade. Uh, if unfortunately, I hate to bring it up again, but you know, if if Brittany Griner does not come back next season, um, you do have an in-house option. And you're right. I mean, thinking about Brianna Turner as a 7.7% usage, she's she's got to have more of a role than that. And again, like she she can do it. She's in the 94th percentile as a roller this season. She that would that's good. I mean, it's only 14 yeah. possessions. That's that's not good. But since the start of last season, including the last year's playoffs, where we kind of saw this at its peak, I would say we saw a, a lot of alley oops to Turner. She's shooting 70% on 33 alley-oop attempts since last year. So that is a very efficient number. Who else even has 33 alley-oop attempts? I would guess nobody has half of that if I had yeah, to Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was going to suggest Las Vegas. I know Chelsea Gray doesn't really get into the paint as much as you'd like her to, but they also have Kelsey Plum. They have two really good creators in the backcourt. And the you do have a coaching staff who, as you've pointed out, does emphasize floor spacing around their center. You know, maybe not. Maybe Brianna Turner wouldn't be starting in this role, but I think she could at least get some some open looks at the basket, rolling to the hoop. Yeah, I mean to maybe do that for twelve minutes a game or something, and just kind exactly, of play her yeah. normal role the rest of the game. That that would make sense. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, the question is, how would that affect Erica Hamby? And if you have the, the two players, I'm probably choosing Hamby. So, yeah, it's a very specific situation. Uh, we'll see what Phoenix chooses to do because this season is definitely not going how they wanted it to. Anything else? Was there anybody else that you were, I guess, considering for this? Uh, Neka Gumake, I think she'd be great in the Chicago sky. Yeah, it would be great to see her in a different <laughs> only, role. Only sort, only sort of joking. How about you? Uh, Dana Evans was a, a player, you know, who's been kind of relegated as third point guard yeah. duty. You know, I think Julie Aleman is, is a better player than, than Dana Evans, but Dana Evans deserves to kind of play a decent amount of minutes somewhere. Um, and I think she's kind of shown... Her, her, I like to see her like three point bombing be explored a little bit more. I agree. Uh, Kennedy Carter was another one that I thought about. Ty Harris was one uh, that I had considered for a second. That that was kind of the rest of my list. Would would Ty Harris would her role be any different than any other team though? Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of wondering as well. Maybe it would just be sort of the same kind of low usage. You know, a three threes, three twos you know, every 36 minutes or, or whatever it is, you know, she's, she's a very kind of um, steady sort of uh, non-commanding presence on the basketball court. I yeah. Would say. What you see is what you get with Ty Harris. I think she could fit in on basically any team um, getting consistent minutes under somebody not named Vicki Johnson is another story entirely, but we'll see how Dallas uh, approaches that this off season. Okay. Um, this is a fun exercise. I really enjoyed doing this because it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's fun playing hypotheticals, of course, but especially in the context of this coming off season, which I think is going to see a lot of free agency movement. I mean, a lot. So um, again, and again, it's always a popular talking point on Twitter about certain players needing changes of scenery or needing to play under different coaches or what have you. So uh, if we missed anybody, if, if you disagree or you agree with something we said, we'd uh, love to hear your feedback on this because I do really enjoy, you know, kind of playing 
WNBA 2K, if you will, and and seeing how you know different players would would suit different offensive ecosystems, as you like to say. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We very much appreciate when we get a, a new rating or review. So thank you it. if you already have. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we'll be back sometime. All right. Take care, everyone.